Hello and welcome to this episode of the LDS Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. This is the podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. Some of the episodes that we have here on the LDS Mission Cast feature some wonderful stories, some inspirational conversion stories. Others are from scholars who offer some great information about the scriptures as well as ways that we might be able to teach the gospel more effectively, more accurately. And occasionally, we have mental health professionals to come on and talk about challenges that missionaries may face over the course of their service. Today's guest is even a little bit different from those. Our guest today is Morgan Bowser. Her story is rare, but becoming less so. She talks about the struggles that she had with pornography addiction prior to receiving her mission call, as well as some of the challenges that she endured as she was serving as a missionary. It's a very compelling episode, and we hope that you stay tuned for the entire interview. So here now is our interview with Morgan Bowser. Our guest on this episode is going to be a, a new one for us. We haven't actually talked about this topic on the podcast yet, but uh, Morgan Bowser is our guest. She's a blogger, and uh, she's a student at BYU-Idaho, and she has a wonderful story to tell us about her life and her struggles in overcoming pornography addiction. So welcome, Morgan. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you. Let's let's first put a plug out for your your blog Okay. <laughs> so what, tell everybody how to get to your blog. So yeah, my blog is slightly sassyvibes.blogspot.com. And it's on that site that you posted an article uh-huh. talking about this this issue. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it was kind of well shared yeah, online. And, and so before we get to that actual article, let's just kind of get to know who you are and where you grew up and how this issue ended up being part of your life. Yeah. So where'd you, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? So I grew up here in Utah. I grew up in Spanish Fork. Um, so yeah, I lived most of my life here in Utah County. Okay. What age would you say you were first kind of, uh, where you first saw pornographic images? Yeah. So actually I was like 11 or 12, which okay. is actually like the national average, which is really sad and kind of disturbing that kids that young are being exposed to pornography. Yeah. And technology's part of helping that, yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. So you were, I mean, what, did you find it online? How, how was this something yeah. that you came across? So I think for me, it kind of started through like TV shows. My family would watch TV shows and there'd just be kind of something subtle or, or like even through reading books, there are things that even at that age, I didn't quite understand, but I was curious and wanted to, to understand what was, sure. you know, going on. And eventually as I got older and got like a, an iPod touch, I think that's kind of when the like picture aspect came in because you know up to that point I didn't I just had like I don't have any phones or anything like that to be able to access pornography in that way but you could satisfy your curiosity if mm-hmm. something came up you had a question you just google, google it. it yeah exactly and there it is mm-hmm. so when did you I guess get to the point where you felt that you were addicted yeah so I think I was about like 17 or 18 I know it was my senior year of high school and I remember having a lesson in young women's about pornography and realizing like in that lesson, like, oh my goodness, I do this. Like, this is something that 
like I look at, I look at those kind of pictures and I read those kind of books. You know, Elder Oaks actually released an article in the Enzyme back in October 2015, and he kind of talked about the difference between like a bad habit and an addiction. And so that's something that, you know, anyone who's dealing with pornography needs to decide if it's just a bad habit or an addiction. You know, both are hard to break, but an addiction is much harder to break than a habit. But, you know, that was really when I kind of started understanding like, okay, this is wrong. Like, this is not okay. And this is something I need to change. So you, you, before that point, you really hadn't heard much about this yeah. wasn't good. Yeah. Well, I felt like pornography was always kind of defined as like a bad picture. And I, I mean, what's that supposed to mean if you don't really know? And so even like three young women's and, you know, other, like my parents, nobody ever really gave me a clear definition of what pornography was. So I felt like, oh yeah, I don't do that. I'm okay. But when someone finally sat down and gave a clear explanation of, you know, what pornography is, what the purpose of it is, I, that's really when I understood what it was and that it was a part of my life. So what was that definition? I'm curious how, how you learned yeah. to define it. Well, I feel like pornography is anything, any type of media. It can come through books or TV shows, even like music, things like that. Anything that, you know, arouses those sexual feelings, you know, that can be defined as pornography and it can be different for everyone. Um, you know, some songs might affect someone more than, you know, another person. And that's something that you really have to, I feel like, be in tune with, you know, to, when you're listening to music or reading a book, paying attention to how how you feel. And if you have those, you know, sexual feelings aroused, you need to put that down and put it aside. So you're 17, 18, yeah. and you have this lesson mm -hmm. where you kind of have this sobering realization. Yeah. What did you do with it? At first, it was a really like shameful feeling for me. And I, which shame is not something that comes from God. I felt very isolated. You know, comments are made a lot in young women lessons. Like, I know none of you girls do this, or I know you would never do this. You're all good people. And so knowing that I was doing this, I felt bad. I thought, surely I had lost like my chance, you know, to make it into the social kingdom or do anything great with my life. And I felt like at that point that God didn't even care about me, that he didn't love me. And so for a long time, I just kind of isolated myself, which was not the right thing to do because it grew worse. The problem just got bigger that way. And that's what, you know, Satan wants us to do. He wants us to isolate ourselves because when we do, you know, those, those feelings of loneliness and anger come up in that, you know, we want to numb those feelings. And so we can turn to pornography for that. And so, you know, for the first few months, it was something that I really struggled with until I finally feel like I got to rock bottom. And I was like, you know what, I want to see if I can change this. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to make an appointment with my bishop and see what, you know, what options I have to work through this. So you felt that this was how you were born? Were you, were you kind of thinking this is just who I am now? It's innate part of myself? Yeah. I mean, I guess I wouldn't say I felt like I was born that way. You know, I felt like I had made a bad choice and I guess I didn't fully understand what repentance was and what the atonement could do for me. So I felt like because I'd made that bad choice, I was just stuck. Like I had picked the wrong path and I was stuck on that path. You are not the common narrative, <laughs> I would say, when it comes to pornography. Because what we often hear, even in the church, let alone in, in non-church settings, that that men are the ones that are addicted to pornography. Right. And in fact, there's also a lot of discussions, a lot of even lessons about women dating men that mm -hmm. have pornography addictions or have even viewed it for that matter. Right. So when you are in this position where you go to your bishop, that's I would argue that there's even more of a risk in that because it's even more uncommon. Mm -hmm. So maybe a bishop wouldn't know how to approach that issue. Now that you've had some distance from this... 
what did your bishop do well and right in your situation? Or what did he do wrong and things that we might need to learn from? Yeah. So something that I really appreciated, and, you know, I worked through mul- with multiple bishops through this. It was like a journey for me, but my first bishop really like helped me to understand the atonement. Because I remember going in and telling him I've done this. I know I have to confess, but I know like I've I'm not going to be able to like ever serve a mission or or like get married in the temple because this I made this bad decision and that's so what him, you thought. Yeah, I really thought that and like that was so like depressing for me. And so him like he provided me with a bunch of books um, and like a lot of different talks to read that really educated me on how the atonement worked. And that really like built up my hope and being like, okay, like I could work through this. I could stop this and I could move forward from this and I could still serve a mission and get married in the temple one day. And so that was like something that I felt like was really vital in his role in helping me through this. Yeah. Awesome. What was that next step? Yeah. So I think from there, you know, I continued to like work with my bishops. At that point, I switched to a singles ward. And so my bishop there was phenomenal and really worked with me. At that point, I wasn't really viewing pornography as just an occasional thing when I would slip up every once in a while. But, you know, he worked with me. He knew I wanted to serve a mission. Um, And just being open and honest with him. At this time, I still wasn't being open and honest with my parents or anyone else. Like, I was so embarrassed about it. I didn't want anyone to look at me and think I was this gross, you know, person for doing this or like evil or incapable of feeling the spirit. So it was really just being open and honest with my bishop, having someone that I feel like I could, you know, be like, okay, I did this and I feel bad about it. And having someone that just loved me and supported me through that was huge. Very cool. Yeah. So you eventually work through this to the point where you can put in your mission papers. Yeah. So when was this and where did you end up going? Yeah. So I've been home from my mission for about two years. So I left, what would it be? 2015. It feels like so long ago. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I served in the North Dakota Bismarck mission and okay. it covered North and South Dakota, and I served in Nebraska for a long time, as well as Minnesota, so I kind of state-hopped. But Yeah. Yeah. So you were there 2015. That would have been after the age change. Yes. And so you took advantage of that, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yeah. As far as going forward in a missionary capacity, did you feel like when you got that call that I'm finally forgiven? No, actually, I didn't. Where did that come? Um, that was honestly one of the biggest trials of my mission was learning to forgive myself mm. because I was in the middle of nowhere. Like, I mean, like I said, half my mission was in this small town in Nebraska with less than 3,000 people. We just had our little podunk, like, brick phone. Like, I had no <laughs> access to pornography, really. I, I mean, I would have really had to work for it. And so it wasn't something I was viewing or looking at, but it was still something that I felt ashamed about. And for, like, the first half of my mission, I just always would feel like I'm not I'm not good enough to be here because I've made these mistakes. And, you know, I just remember every interview with my mission president just, like, telling him, like, I don't think I should be out here. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like I've messed up way too much. Like, I'm serving with all these great sisters who, you know, the worst mistake that they've made is, you know, maybe, like, back-talking to their mom. And, like, I've done so much worse than that. And so that was a really, really hard struggle for me for the yeah. first half of my mission. So did your mission president know then that this was an issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And was there any advice that helped you get to that point of forgiveness? Self-forgiveness, yeah. I should say. You know, I feel like, I mean, everybody just kept telling me, you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself. And it's one thing to say it, but I just didn't quite understand how. And so for me, I think a large part of learning how to forgive myself was learning how to use it for good. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so... I- 
I know like I had a lot of converts and like people that I taught on my mission that, you know, had done things that they felt so bad about. And I would feel God's love for them and understand for them, like you are capable of like being forgiven and I want to help you get to that point. Like that's why we're here. And realizing that that was just as true for me and that Heavenly Father was willing to like help me use my past to empathize with people. And I wasn't like super open and like, well, this is what I did in the past, but just being able to tell, you know, the people that I taught, I've done things that I feel bad about too, things that I'm so ashamed and embarrassed that I would never want to tell anyone, but I know that I've been forgiven. And I know that that made me a much more powerful missionary because it helped me to relate to the people that I taught. And that really helped me to learn that like all was well, God had forgiven me and that it was in the past. And that as long as I continue to push through it and try my best, that everything was going to be okay. Yeah. So that was the first half of your mission. You said you kind of felt that way. Yeah. Eventually you did you, was there an experience, a singular experience, or just kind of over time you felt, you know what, I'm I'm forgiven? Yeah, you know, for me, I think it was over time, lots okay. of praying and just wanting to receive that witness. And I think a lot of the reason why I couldn't receive that witness is because I couldn't believe it. And once I chose to believe it, that was when that came and being okay. able to move forward, you know, every day. Like still after that, there were times where I kind of start to get overwhelmed and think, no, it's okay. I know that this is all right and I can move forward and be okay. Yeah. You come home from your mission Mm -hmm. and you go to BYUI where you're studying. What are you studying? So I'm studying marriage and family studies. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So in a way, this has informed what you want to do with your life. Right. Mm -hmm. When you are in a position now, looking back, I'm not asking if you are glad you did it. Yeah. (laughs) But what kind of lessons do you think you've learned as a result Yeah, man, I've learned so many. And just this week as I've been like reflecting and kind of talking, you know, with my mission president and with other friends that I know have dealt with similar struggles, I think for me, the biggest lesson that I've learned is how much God loves his children. And especially us as individuals, like knowing that he loves me. I kind of feel like I grew up with a rocky relationship with him. I'm very independent. And so I kind of always struggled with like, God trying to guide your life because I was like, no, like I can do it. Don't tell me what to do. I got life. (laughs) I'm okay. But getting to that point in like true humility where I was like, I can't, like I can't do this. I can't break this bad habit and like move forward. I can't learn how to forgive myself without God. And that really like helped me to learn to rely on him. And, you know, I just think how grateful I am that I went through that experience because of where my relationship with him is now. Like he's truly my best friend and I love, I love talking to him. I love being able to talk with him about like how frustrated I am about a grade I got on a test or how excited I am that a cute boy like came up and talked to me or whatever. (laughs) Like I can talk to him about anything now. anything. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So this is, I don't want to say this has become an identifying part of your life, but it it is part of, of your life. Yeah. How often do you talk about this? How often do you share this story? Yeah, you know, I'm a lot more open about it now. Once I was able to detach the shame, I mean, it comes with kind of the culture. And I think people who have never dealt with pornography, they don't understand it. And I think a lot of my friends would sit there and talk about like, oh, people that look at pornography are evil. And I would think, okay, I'm evil. And learning to realize that like God still loved me. I still was feeling the spirit in my life. Like I was still trying to make good choices. This was just a weakness that I needed to work through. You know, that really, like, really helped me being able to move forward. Well, sometimes I think there was a culture for a long time there that if we made it bad enough, mm-hmm. if we made it so big, bad, scary, mean, nasty, that we would be scared away from it. But then we came to a society where you didn't have to choose it. 
it kind yeah. of almost finds its way into your life regardless of whether you want it there or not. Right. And so we live in a different world now, I would say, where we can't just assume that anybody that's come in contact with it is infected. Right. And therefore, we must ostracize and distance mm-hmm. as a modern day. It's kind of a modern day version of leprosy. Yeah. Where it almost feels like people are put into camps or categories. Mm-hmm. And we do this a lot with young men, I know, from my own personal experience, that uh, young men who have viewed pornography are put into a category, at least with respect to young women, of the undateable, the unmarriable. They will be problematic. They will have these issues. And I assume that maybe there was some part of you that felt that same way, that if, if a young man found out, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tainted goods or you know whatever. Was there some of that happening with the young women too, or was that more of a young man thing? Yeah. I mean, I speaking for myself, absolutely. Like that's something I worried about was, is anyone ever going to want to marry me? Like, even if I break this habit, like having to like tell them, like, this is something I dealt with, you know, like, and going back to the whole shame thing, like when you're ashamed, like you're not going to be open about it. You're not going to want to tell anyone about it. And I think that's really, you know, something as a church and like as members of the church that we really need to like push that shame away because that's not coming from God, you know, guilt. Absolutely. That comes from God. And that's a great gift for us to recognize when we've done wrong. But shame, you know, like I had said earlier, it's isolating. It just isolates you and it doesn't make you feel like you want to be part of the church. I really struggled with like going to church and interacting with people because I just thought I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough to be here. And, you know, so being able to work through that and like getting to a point where like I was totally comfortable saying, yeah, this is a part of my past. It's not necessarily something I'm proud of, but the journey of overcoming it, I am. And that's not who I am anymore. Let's get a little bit more practical now. Mm -hmm. So we have... Your experience that teaches us that you can go on a mission yeah. when you've had this issue. So let's let's put that out. It's it's been done. Right. <laughs> yes. And you're probably not the only one. Absolutely not. <laughs> so so let's let's end that myth. Yeah. The other I would say is that this doesn't go away easily, Mm-mm. but it can go away. Yes. And so you're not tempted the same way now. That you were when you were 17. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm tempted in the same way, but there are times still where that temptation comes. And it's still something I have to work through daily and remind myself like, no, I don't want to fall back into this trap and I need to avoid this. Yeah. So let's, again, let's get practical. When you, let's let's stay with before your mission. Mm -hmm. If you were to now go to someone who is preparing to serve for a mission but has this, what would be maybe the first steps towards progressing towards a mission? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, you know, meeting with your bishop, that's that's so key. And being able to have his guidance and his counsel, you know, that's personalized and individualized for you. That's huge. But, you know, as I've kind of talked with people who have dealt with similar things and like looked on what helped me the most, um, there were two things that I really felt like helped me the most, which is great because this is like something that you really learn to do as a missionary. And the first is daily accountability. And so for me at first, that was me like texting every night to my bishop. I would either just have to say, yes, I had a good day or no, I messed up. And having someone to be accountable to, like it really, like anytime that temptation came, it was really like, okay, do I want to have to text bishop and let him know that I screwed up? Um, And slowly that transition of being accountable to God happened. And it was, you know, it's still something every day I'm like, okay, like I've 
gone this many days without pornography and I'm super proud of this many months or this long. And so daily accountability was something that really, really helped me okay. um, being able to work through that. Okay. So maybe pick a friend or is this yeah. better to just stick with the bishop so there's some confidentiality? Um, yeah. I mean, a bishop is obviously great. Um, at some point, like I you know, had friends that I would, you know, let know maybe just once a week, like, okay, this is how I did this week. You know, parents are a great resource. Um, anyone really that you feel comfortable, you know, knowing that they're not going to be ashamed of you. They're going to be there to support you and love you and help you through that. So find that person. Cause yeah. Finding who to have is what some programs might call a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, having that person that you can connect to and be accountable to is is actually a pretty important decision. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you pick the wrong person, that could set you back quite a bit, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what else after those two things? So the, the next thing that really helped me was, you know, to use my time wisely. And like as a missionary, you plan out every single minute of your day. And so this was a great principle that really helped me leading up to my mission, but also learning how to like master it on my mission. I really attribute that to helping me as I came home from my mission, because learning to like fill your time with like purposeful things, it just the, the distractions and the temptations, they just aren't there as much. And I notice in my life when I'm like tired and I'm like, hey, like I had a long day at work. I'm going to go home and like just relax for a minute. That's when that temptation comes is when I'm being idle. And that's when I have ah, to make that decision okay. to get up and, okay, what can I do? Who can I go serve? Or what can I read? Or what can I do to really like avoid this? So it's a matter of making sure that, not that you're busy. Yeah. But that you're doing something that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, so... Over time, mm-hmm. uh, we have noticed a, I don't want to call it a surge. That's yeah. a, that's probably not the best way to put it. But <laughs> we have seen an increase in people being willing to admit mm-hmm. and, you know, copying to or whatever we want to call it, to, to having some degree of difficulty with pornography. Right. And when we're talking about young men, we're talking about a very complicated time, or young women for that matter. You're talking about a very complicated time in their growth their maturing process where they're learning to understand all sorts of things about sexuality, the law of chastity, mm-hmm. and how it applies to them. Was there any particular church teaching that helped you the most outside of, of course, the atonement stuff? Is there any other church teaching or a talk or something that helped inspire you or strengthened you to to deal with this? Yeah, you know, there was a talk given by President Monson, and I can't remember what it was called, but I do know that it was given October 2014. Okay. And in that talk, he talked about like following Christ and basically like following his path, being his disciple. And I think up to that point, I was kind of starting to understand the atonement, but I was also beginning to understand like the power of acting and that we needed to follow Jesus Christ, that he was an example. And that's incredible that Heavenly Father sent someone down for us to like follow, knowing that, you know, we were going to be confused at times. And so that was really a big thing in helping me to turn to Jesus Christ as my mentor and as my example. Now we've got this situation in the world where return missionaries come home mm-hmm. and they— some of them struggle with activity in the church. Yeah. And I would argue that a portion of that challenge comes with pornography. Absolutely. That, that, that people mm-hmm. get either into bad habits again or they develop them. Right. How is the issue with pornography different as a return missionary versus someone that hasn't left yet? Yeah. I think, I mean, it's a serious struggle, I think, having to go on a mission and you're, I mean, you're, 
basically that's the cleanest and most pure you've ever been in your whole life. <laughs> and I know like coming home, I just felt so good. And I was like, I'm going to rock it. Like I'm going to be that member that like does everything like perfectly. <laughs> and then when you don't, it's kind of disappointing. And I know, again, I felt like really ashamed. Like I just felt like I'd let myself down. I felt like I had let the people that I taught down, like my mission president, my companions. And there was just a lot of shame that I dealt with. You know, so was just this from in, expectations you set yeah, on yourself that you didn't meet? Okay. Yeah. And so like if I missed a day of scripture, so even like small things, and I know for me, like it kind of got overwhelming. And I think that's the problem with any missionary that comes home, falls back into old habits, whether it be pornography or something else. And so I think really like striving to maintain those those principles from your mission, you know, reading your scriptures, praying daily, attending the temple as often as you can, doing those things. But also serving. I know like that was a big aspect that I was missing was looking out and finding those opportunities to like minister and help other people. And by doing that, like that really helped me to find a purpose and gave me like motivation to get out of bed in the morning and know it's okay if I mess up because I was able to feel the love that God had for all of his children. So when you you talk about it, and this is kind of, I guess this is really relevant. You, You talk about it as if there's like a threshold of this is the standard of missionary life. And if we ever dip below that, we just kind of go, ugh. Yeah. Oh well. That's we, how I felt at We least. didn't keep it and <laughs> yeah. forget it. And that, I don't want to call it complacency, but there is almost a similar mindset that what you talked about with pornography. You feel like, oh, I've done it. I've crossed this line. I can't go back. It's mm-hmm. too hard. It's too this, 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 blah, blah, blah. So there's actually kind of a similar symptom pattern to when we come home from a mission, if we don't set this expectation and live it, that we become no longer worthy of, of being back there. Right. It's too late now. Yeah. We're no longer a return missionary like yeah. we thought we would be. <laughs> what part did expectations play aside from, you know, your, your weekly scripture study? What kinds of expectations p- come into play when it comes to addiction and addiction recovery? What is, is there a reasonable line of expectation or is expectation an absolutely stupid standard because it's about progress. It's about getting yourself out. There's no line. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Cause obviously you want to go home and expect that you're not going to fall back into that sure. kind of stuff. But even talking to my mission president, just hearing how, how many missionaries, you know, and he kept it private, didn't like share any names, but just knowing that there were other missionaries from my mission that went home and fell back into into pornography or other bad habits, you know, I don't want to say you should go home and expect that because you don't want that. But I mean, it's hard to be back in the world where that's, that's such a part of our world. I mean, it's everywhere you look, pornography is there. And so, yeah, like we should always expect progress. And I think sometimes we might get caught and like, this is where I progressed on my mission. This is the standard that I need to live at for the rest of my life. But sometimes I think we have to fall, rely on the atonement to get back up. And then we progress even further than from where we were on our mission. Did you have any experience with the ARP program, the addiction recovery program? Yeah. So I never attended it, but the, I used the manual um, just privately because I, again, I was so ashamed. I didn't want to go, especially as a woman, like I didn't want to go and be this only girl that was dealing with pornography. But that manual truly like really helped me to understand the atonement, helped me to work through my feelings and to put it on paper and see it. It just really helped me to feel connected to God and not feel so alone through that journey. So how far away are you from getting your degree and being a therapist to tackle these issues? (laughs) Yeah, so I've got about a year left of my bachelor's, and then from there I'll go on and get a master's. So 
That's exciting. Yeah, that's very exciting. Your life's mission. Yeah. So, well, very cool. And at this point, moving forward, what what kinds of advice would you like to leave with those that have are, are preparing to leave or are on missions or even coming home with respect to this issue? Is there any one thing that you want to impart as your sage advice? Yeah, I think just having faith that God loves you perfectly, no matter what, because if you feel ashamed, you're not going to want to fix it because you're just going to want to hide it. And that that's not going to make it better. You need to let it out. And, you know, you can always trust God. You can always tell him how you're feeling. And he can guide you through that, help you work through that, you know, the feelings, help you recognize the triggers that come into your life that may lead to looking at pornography or what you need to do. Just understanding that he loves you. He's there for you. This isn't something you need to be ashamed about. You're not an evil person. Pornography itself is evil, but just because you look at pornography doesn't make you evil yourself. So just always relying on God and having that hope and faith that you can work through this and that, you know, God can still use you for his work. And that it's worth it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes we look at things and go, gosh, that's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. And it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Morgan, for Mm -hmm. coming in. And we'll put a link to your, not just your blog, but also to this specific article that you, where you share part of your story and your hopes and and aspirations with respect to people in this issue. So I appreciate that. And uh, anybody that is listening, that is struggling with this issue, we want to encourage you to reach out to your bishops Mm -hmm. to be prayerful and know that God loves you and to stick with it. Yep. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the LDS Mission Cast. We realize that this is one of those more uh, perhaps uncomfortable subjects for some people, but we wanted to bring it out and we wanted to talk about it because it is an important and a very needed subject. So thank you for listening. Please share this episode with someone you think would be benefited by it. Remember that you can listen each and every Thursday to a new episode of the LDS Mission Cast. Next week, we have a very special, well, we're going to call it a two-parter, so it'll go over two weeks' time. It is a story that I think is incredibly compelling, very powerful, and again, another story that we really need to hear in our day and age. So stay tuned for that. Thank you again for listening to the LDS Mission Cast. Mission Cast.